I'm Jennifer Isabella. And I'm Keith Johnston. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. Today, we're joined by VP Principal Analyst Joanna O'Connell and Principal Analyst Tina Moffitt to discuss Google's recent announcement that they'll continue to support third-party cookies until late 2023. Welcome both. Hi, really happy to be here. Thanks for having us. Happy to be here. Thank you for having us. So I think Google had originally announced that they would no longer support third-party cookies as of January 2022, but recently, last month in June, had extended that deadline to late 2023, which may be exciting for some folks, but we can get that into that in a little bit. Um, but maybe we could take a step back and discuss like what is happening here and why did that delay occur? So yeah, it's really important for us to think about the larger context about what ha is happening before we really should even give Google any airtime for making this, this uh, announcement of the delay of the deprecation of the third party cookie. So stepping back, we need to recognize that the way that the digital advertising ecosystem has developed over the last 20 years has been fast uh, pretty unfettered, uh, I would argue pretty wild westy. You know, so if we think about the way brands have behaved, kind of sometimes picking data and technology over strong strategy, the way publishers have behaved, sort of putting too many ads all over the place, boring ads, uh, you know, not uh, investing enough in, in strategic uh, sales strategies and data strategies, the way ad tech has behaved, um, taking data where it really didn't necessarily have a right to, um, perhaps not necessarily maliciously, but without really any thought or oversight. Um, and then ultimately how consumers perceive and experience all of this stuff that is essentially happening to them. So if you take all of those things, they've led to this kind of convergence of huge mega tidal forces that are creating a landscape of a lot of disruption um, in, in, in digital advertising particularly, but marketing more broadly. So the first is consumers just taking privacy protecting actions themselves. Like I'm going to use an ad blocker. I'm going to clear my cookies. I'm going to clear my history. Um, we know from technographics um, that like 80 plus percent of US online adults will say that they use one or more privacy and security protecting tool. And almost 40% of those people will say that preventing advertisers from getting access to their data is one of the reasons that they do it. So that's like really material. You know, they're not just using these tools to protect their security, their active awareness of, of privacy and advertising. So the second one is the regulatory environment, which started with the GDPR in Europe um, and you know, has come not just stateside, but really globally, you're seeing a lot of activity around privacy regulation and legislation that has an impact on what kind of information needs to be shared with consumers, what kinds of options consumers have to participate in the collection or use or storage of their data, and so on and so forth. The third, which is the one that everybody talks about, is third-party cookie deprecation. Um, but it's bigger than that. You also have Apple making changes to the availability of mobile ad IDs, giving consumers a lot more of a say in how they are being tracked and so on and so forth in app environments. 
And then the fourth, which is not necessarily of the same flavor exactly, but does have the um, kind of ultimate um, impact of restricting uh, data for brands is the walled gardens. You know, the big ones are Amazon, Google, Facebook. Everybody knows that they're very restrictive with what they will do with their own data when you're interacting with them as an advertiser. But in part because of all the other forces that we're talking about, we anticipate that even more kind of wally behavior will start to emerge from other kinds of media giants and kind of platforms in the space in terms of creating uh, restrictions around access to and interaction opportunities with their data. So it's very interesting. It's, you know, obviously, there was a, a decision uh, that was made because it's really is trying to address what some would call very invasive uh, privacy uh, issues, um, even to the point of fingerprinting. Um, but even as we looked at these privacy concerns and we changed the way we may be advertising, it's really reshaping the experience of digital advertising overall. Can you talk about what what any of these changes are actually going to do to our digital advertising experience? So with, with kind of what jo Joanna summarized around what is exactly data deprecation, and in particular, Google's most recent announcement of extending the phase out um, to uh, mid-2023, uh, it's still going to completely impact um, customer experience overall and really um, the inner workings and, and the nuts and bolts of how digital advertising works. Um, so, so we expect uh, disruption in things like um, a consumer may be receiving multiple ads that they've seen um, over several publisher sites because there's no third-party cookie to track and manage um, frequency of ads or viewability. Um, so it will definitely impact how an ad is targeted to consumer and the relevancy of that ad because that the actual uh, mechanism for connecting and, and understanding what consumers need, the third-party cookie is going away. So it will impact that. Um, we expect the third-party cookie deprecation to impact things like personalization. Um, so personalization on uh, your website um, is one example. Um, a third-party cookie is used to bridge identities across uh, different um, digital publisher sites across even offline um, when you don't have a third-party cookie to connect those points um, or even to enhance an existing identity which is used for to personalize content um, that makes for an experience that a consumer may it, it just may not make for a positive experience of a consumers on the website. Um, third, it will impact advertisers. On the advertiser side, it will impact the advertiser's ability to measure ad efficacy um, at, at, a, at a very kind of tactic level. So if you bought ads on different super sites uh, or different publisher sites, you're not going to know whether or not that ad drove incremental conversion. And I think the experience on the customer side um, will be, again, receiving multiple targeted ads multiple uh, times with um, little re relevancy to the consumer. Yeah. So if it's not going to be the cookie, then what could it be? Is there a solution? The question too, is there a solution, is there is no one solution. 
Mm. <laughs> There's no replacement for the cookie, right? Of course. <laughs> That's right. Course. That's exactly right. So uh, in short, as Tina said, there's no replacement for the cookie, which is to say what we don't want to do and what we expect won't ha happen is that there's some perfect find replace. Like it used to be third party cookies. Now it's a giant identity graph. No, what we're going to see is a world that is just more complicated and multifaceted than that. So we actually uh, did a, a piece of research called the future of audience targeting. So again, just looking at targeting here, which is one of of the many things Tina talked about that are affected. Um, but in that report, in that research, what we, what we talk about is the sort of pyramid of addressability, which is to say, if folks anticipate that the future is one where person level addressability exists 100% and in perpetuity, they're thinking about it the wrong way, which is why conversations about things like identity become really important. We have to make sure that we're really clear what we're talking about when we say something like identity solutions are going to be a part of, of part of the answer here. There's going to be a small subset of, of users that have you know, taken the positive action the active action of authenticating and giving permission. So sharing an email address and saying, yes, you can use this to kind of find me and serve me targeted advertising. Brands are going to need to do that. Publishers are going to need to do that. The people that are going to be targetable at an addressable person level are going to be the people that have authenticated in enough places that the, both the brand and the publisher are able to say, oh, cool, I have the right permissions. I know you. Kind of everything below that group, that relatively rarefied group, is not going to be addressable at the person level. You're going to do things like build audiences that are representations, you know, using other kinds of signals or abstracted definitions of audiences. Um, it might also be things like contextual that are totally abstracted from the idea of targeting a person, and instead you're targeting based on the content of the page. You'll see lots of modeling that takes place. Again, things that are abstracted from the idea of the individual. And that's just in targeting. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think to Joanna's point, right, I think the days of, of tracking across devices and publisher sites using one mechanism is gone. And that's okay because we're moving into kind of a privacy first um, uh, error right, within, within marketing and within business, quite frankly. Um, and, and what we always, what we've been telling marketers is really focused on building first party and zero party uh, data sets, right, their, their data assets. And it's not only for that addressable um, tranche of, of data and, and those addressable consumers, it's also using that information for targeting for net new customers, because the more you know about your existing customers, the more you can extract that, those insights and target the right customers. It's just the execution of targeting down to an individual level, that's, that's going away. But you could still use first-party data to identify who you should be acquiring. And that's honestly really what you should do. You're not, you don't want to completely target everyone. You want to be very thoughtful about it and target the right customers that will build loyalty and stay for a long time. But is that a new concept, though? I feel like we've been talking about that for a really long time, like modeling or having lookalike audiences and things of that nature. So is this a new or different muscle for for marketers to to approach it in this way? I think the answer is probably yes and no. So 
fair enough. We have been doing things like building the lookalike models for quite a while. But the reality is the ubiquitousness of third-party cookies made it pretty easy to do things like buy behavioral segments, made it really easy to do things like retarget. I mean, there are retailers out there that whose businesses are are built on the backs of retargeting you know what i mean or at least they would maybe say that they are whether retargeting really was uh, was the cause or there was just kind of correlational effect between the ad being served and somebody going to the website and buying something anyway it was easy to sort of hit some of these default buttons right and so what is happening now is the removal of some of those really really entrenched default buttons and as tina's talking about things like building up first party data assets yes there are practical actionable things that that allow you to do but if you up level it this is a bigger conversation of how about brands data strategies about how brands want to develop relationships or not with their consumers, what those should look like, what it means to deliver a valuable experience to the consumer versus what you think the value experience, valuable experience is. So it's big. It's, you know, it's, it's much bigger than cookies, as we keep saying. And, and I also think that um, it, it's it, like Joanna said, it's forcing marketers to really to really revisit what it what's meant by consumer customer lifecycle based marketing right and it's pushing out it's taking away the mechanism of making it very easy to hit everybody at any stage without any regard of whether or not if as we say in our research, if it's human, if it's helpful, or if it's handy, right? Um, it, so it's taking away the third-party cookie, which is the mechanism that makes it easy to hit everyone all at once, regardless of where they are, regardless of if it's relevant, and really forcing marketers to rethink um, uh, at what stage of the life cycle, what is the appropriate app, what's the appropriate message, the creative, the media. So all of these tools that we've been creating over the last decade to allow marketers just kind of set it and forget it and move on, like, so that's gone now, right? Or it's certainly going to be. They have to be marketers again. Here's the funny thing. If they ever were setting and forgetting it, they weren't, they weren't doing a good job anyway. <laughs> because, yeah. the, I mean, one of the reasons we're in this place is because people over-relied on automation, yeah. on data availability in the absence of not just sound strategy, but that's obviously a big part of it, but like human interaction and oversight. I mean, we did a piece of research on AI and advertising a couple of years back that basically said, hey, in case you didn't know it, AI is already everywhere in your advertising. And when you don't have your hands on the wheel, things go badly. Mm. <laughs> things go badly. Bad brand experiences, like showing up next to scary content, like ad copy that's insane, like things that you don't want as a brand. So we've already been telling brands, hey, you know, technology is here to enable you and enable your strategy, not as a replacement, you know, for humans or for strategy. So this is a forcing function where I think we get nervous is when a brand is like, oh, it's fine. I just, I do a lot of social in search. I don't, you know, I don't do a lot of programmatic, so I'm not all that worried about the cookie thing. And you're like, "Mm, I feel concerned that you are not seeing the forest for these little trees in front of you. (laughs) So there's going to be a whole lot of urgency, both on the sides of the likes of Google, but also the marketers here. I feel like just removing the cookie and having to find another solution, um, there's some risk for both sides. 
Um, Google's suggesting a privacy sandbox of sorts. I don't know if you want to talk about that. Um, but also marketers are looking for a solution. I mean, if we liberate people's data and we give their privacy back, then obviously we're already talking about it. Marketers got to put their hands back on the wheel. Um, what's at risk for both sides? So first of all, Google developed the privacy sandbox as a way to create uh, technologies or develops to create technologies within the ecosystem that protects people's privacy online and give um, the developers who create these technologies the tools to build, to continue to build their business, right? So think about, you know, ad technologies, even like things like ad fraud, ad measurement, things like that. You build that within the within the privacy ecosystem, um, the privacy sandbox ecosystem. I think what's at risk here um, for Google, you know, Google, I think, has to be very careful. When they first announced this, um, the, their intention to deprecate the third-party cookie in 2020, um, it, it, the past 18 months, they have not been transparent. So there has, there has not been a, a clear sense of like, what does that mean? What will that look like? Um, it, there were tidbits of announcements here and there. So when they decided a few weeks ago to push out the uh, deprecation of the third-party cookie to 2023, they provided a little bit more detail, right? There's going to be a stage one and a stage two. But what's at risk for Google is that if they're not clear in terms of what this, um, the, the process of the deprecation of third party cookie, advertisers will go elsewhere. They will go directly to the publishers. They'll go to different ad tech systems to buy on the open web. They will really uh, look towards uh, data solutions that can help them collect first party data and refocus their initiatives on, um, on retention um, efforts as well. So I think, I think that. Google's at risk if they're not thoughtful and if they're not collaborative with advertisers and publishers, they're at risk of, of people not, of, of those, of the ecosystem not playing with them. For advertisers, if they are not in tune with what is currently going on with, with cookie deprecation and with the broader topic of data deprecation, with privacy regulations and so on and so forth. And if they continue down the path of using third-party cookies, they are not going to be prepared once that switch turns off. They are going to be using mechanisms that are outdated. They run the risk of retargeting or targeting people that are not relevant uh, for their core customer in their business. They're going to send repetitive messages. There's going to be no management of frequency for ads. There's going to have poor customer experience. I mean, this is real dire for the advertisers. So they need to start making the change over now. Yeah. So you're making a point. It's like these, this privacy, security, all this stuff is going to consider continue to escalate, whether it's a cookie or something else, we need to start doing media plans that um, that are the post cookie version anyway, right? Is that correct? Totally. I mean, here's the yeah. thing. Wouldn't the worst thing be if an advertiser hadn't prepared for this and the these flips get switched 
And all of a sudden the consumer ad experience just gets worse. Like that would be horrible. Right. You know, these things that Tina's talking about, no management of frequency, irrelevant advertising. Advertising will continue just to be clear. Advertising has a future. Publishers get revenue from advertising. Not every person can afford, every consumer can afford 75 paid subscriptions, right? Like there is a future for subsidization of content. Um, but it doesn't mean that it has to be bad. <laughs> so if people can be using this time, including publishers, by the way, to mm. prepare for this future, um, they are going to be in such a better position when these changes ultimately happen than if they just sort of say, oh, great, we have a whole extra year just to just to sit back and wait and see what what the industry figures out to do. Well, I guess that was going to be my my next question. Is this, yes, there's a role, obviously, for for brands and publishers for their firms to figure out what to do and what's best for them. But is there, is there a question at like an industry level industry bodies to help provide guidance or documentation or a common construct as you know, there are for other sort of standards, like, is that also happening or what's going on there? Yeah, it's happening. I mean, it started right after Google made the announcement in 2020. Uh, the IAB, the Interactive Advertising Bureau, came out with a proposal called Project REARC. Uh, the Association of National Advertisers, in partnership with a bunch of other industry bodies, um, launched something called PRAM, the Partnership for Resp Responsible Addressable Media. You've got lots of activity in the W3C, the sort of browser community. So there's lots that's happening I think probably, um, and Tina definitely weigh in here, what, what I think we feel from the advertiser community is that there's a lot of noise and they're just trying to figure out what they should be paying attention to, what has legs, you know, what they can put some, put some faith in, you know, and put some um, kind of make some bets on. Right. And I agree. I think there's, there is a lot of noise. We see a lot of discussion happening in terms of what are some ideas of, of uh, retargeting without the third party cookie or ad measurement. And we see changes happening, right? Um, but the changes are really happening, uh, from, from the advertiser. I mean, the advertiser's got to initiate the change, right? I talked to one advertiser yesterday and, and she was, and she told me, she said, look, we're, we're just not, we're just starting to test contextual. We're um, looking at ID-based um, uh, uh, retargeting. So they're they're off to the races and they're starting to do it. And I think the governing bodies, ANA, the IAB, are good guideposts in terms of what's happening, um, what, what they at a very high level recommend. Um, but when the rubber meets the road, I think the advertisers just got to uh, start testing. And that's what we always tell them. Just start testing, uh, test new targeting techniques. Um, think about different types of way, ways to measure, use ad level measurements, um, use uh, digital based panel level measurement um, rather than cookie based measurements. I mean, even, even as they're thinking about creating these, these, these testing roadmaps, do they even know what their exposure is now? I mean, so do they know, for example, how much of what their agency is buying on their behalf is using behavioral third-party cookie data, right? Or how big of a chunk retargeting is in their monthly um, conversion, you know, conversion data. If they don't yeah. know those things, then they're not even prepared to know 
where to put energy. And, and which is really interesting and kind of a breath of fresh air about this whole, about data deprecation. It's forcing marketers to have those conversations with the vendors, with the publishers and with their ad agencies so that they fully understand, hey, where are my media dollars going? What type of uh, targeting technique are you using? Are you testing, are you measuring ad efficacy within uh, within Google's ad, ads data hub, or were you doing something similar in Facebook? I mean, so they're, they're being forced to have these very important conversations that Joanna, I think you said before, it was just like a flip of the switch. Um, and that's what they were used to for years, but now they're being forced to actually have these conversations, which is a good thing. So this should be pretty exciting for marketers, right? I mean, this whole story has been around the transparency and privacy of the consumer, but you know, the marketers have been wanting more transparency into their media plans, you know, for a while now. This would be a good thing, right? What a marketer needs is another problem. No, I'm just kidding. They need, <laughs> they need it like a hole in the head. Yeah, no, listen, it's true. We, we say that too. We're like, yay, opportunity, so exciting. And right. they're like, oh, but quarterly numbers, you know, so mm. we, we are not naive to the fact that this is enormously disruptive and that it's challenging. It's not like all fun disruption. It's like challenging disruption. The opportunity is, is you're right, Keith, like it, it does present opportunity for them to really elevate the conversation inside their own organization, I think, about who are we as a brand? What do we stand for? How do we want to, to engage with our prospects and customers? Like what kind of relationship do they want to have with us? Like, and then that impacts things like data strategy, CX work, marketing, advertising, and more. Um, but yes, this is going to be painful for folks to go through these transitions. It's a whole new creative era, right? Uh, it's just yes. Opportunity, you know, creativity, you come back and, yes, you know. That is true. No, that's, you know, absolute, machines, that's absolutely true. The machines aren't going away. We're just going to use them differently, right? So does this mean that some other traditional media forms get a comeback? Boy, um, Here's the thing. It seems to me that um, you, the genie of, you know, faster optimization, more flexible allocation of budget, you know, more atomic level measurement, better targeting, that genie is out of the bottle. Right. So, you know, it doesn't mean that we return to a world of pure broadcast, non-addressable television as what we do. Right? Yeah, because that's changing too, right? That's yeah. exactly right. right. I mean, streaming television is becoming the new normal. Yes, broadcast is still a huge portion of it, but of, of TV viewing, but um, streaming is, is incredibly important. And so I'm not sure that it's necessarily a return to the old so much as a how do we operate effectively, both thinking about the consumer needs and our business needs in this digital world. That's interesting. So maybe even streaming gets a, like another boost, like it needs more. Because, you know, there's ad supported models and non ad supported models. And, you know, there's a real emphasis on creating great content. So this could be a good thing in other sectors, right? Yeah, I think I think so. I think, look, we have been forecasting out that there's going to be a, a monumental shift um, uh, of investment towards uh, towards digital. And I think that's going to continue. However, there is massive changes happening around television with connected TV, with streaming. And I think we're going to see um, more interest in that and, and more investment in that, especially because 
of just the targeting and measurability aspect of it. But what that industry needs to get right is making sure that, again, they put privacy at the center of, of, of their strategy and making sure that they have permission to gather information from uh, from connected TVs and to use it for relevant ads. Um, so I think that will continue. Um, and, and I'm excited to see the development of that. I, I do think that is probably the biggest piece of non-digital um, uh, development uh, happening right now that that everybody needs to keep an eye on and, and continue to test in that area. The data, I think, is a little weak right now, but I think it's, it's going to get a little, little bit more robust as time goes on. I mean, here's the thing about the word privacy. It's kind of a funny word because it, it, it can, I think it can lead to a false assumption that there's some sort of binary all or nothing. You know, when you're like, we live in a privacy first world versus a what, zero privacy world? No, you know, I mean, it's really about a reorientation around the consumer having transparency, having choice, and having more control, right? So if you can set up an environment where where some more respect is built in as a default and giving people a better understanding of why sharing data might be a useful thing ultimately for them, giving them that kind of choice um, feels like a much better way to think about this than oh, we're, we have to build for privacy or, oh, no, we have to live in a world of marketing that's all about privacy. Like that feels like the wrong orientation. Not that I have a problem with the word privacy. Of course, we all want to feel as though our right to privacy is respected, but it's it's almost making it binary is almost doing it a disservice. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think that's a fair point. I think I think it's it's really making sure that you're using data that's relevant, that's ethically sourced, that and, and have that be authentic to your business model. Totally. Authentic is a very important word here. <laughs> so our system of advertising is obviously it's so it's so much bigger now, but there's a couple of players that particularly dominate the digital side of things. Um, what I'm hearing from you two is that you know, there's some good change out of this. We're going to do something different. Is there any risk of, of, of doing something different too fast, not thinking it through, you know, could we create new issues by, you know, pushing a solution forward? Is that why Google stepped back? Uh, that's not why Google stepped back. I don't think, uh, but to answer your first question, when human beings are involved, mistakes will be made. So, you know, I mean, of course, of course, things are going to go wrong and we're going to mess things up and we're going to make some missteps. Um, Google stepping back is probably a, a, you know, a stew of more complicated things like a legislative environment that is that, you know, and scrutiny that is felt in a way it probably never has been before. Um, concern over loss of share, market share for its browser, you know, lots of big things that Google is grappling, the industry outcry, lots of big things that Google is grappling with. But yes, where human beings are involved, uh, trial and error is, uh, I feel like it's part of our natural state. <laughs> yeah. And I also think, Keith, to your first question, it really depends on um, what these technologies are going to be doing in the future, right? So, so they have to be very pragmatic in terms of 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 what they're developing. But um, you know, they they also need to 
work with the current environment and mm. don't look for workarounds. Yeah, I always right. talk with advertisers and they'll and or even some of the vendors and say, we have a workaround for it. Whoa. The answer is not a workaround. The answer is to work in the environment that your current that currently exists. Yeah, and work and work with the big tech providers, whether it be Google, Facebook, Amazon, the retail media groups. Um, those closed ecosystems and work within the confines of, of what can be done. And like the spirit of it, right, Tina? Like, you know, working within the confines of the spirit of adhering to consumer transparency, choice control, right? Like that's where you see workarounds. You're like, that is, that is, you know, like technically allowed, but, you know, ultimately is it, is it right? Is it adhering to the principles that we're talking about? Wow, we've covered a lot of ground. Not uh, um, not an easy environment to to work in these days as a marketer. But to your point, lots of opportunity, lots of ways to be creative within the context that we want people to be creative in, right? But at the end of the day, what should marketers be doing now? Like, or they should have already been doing this, but you know, creating some urgency. Who cares that that Google has extended this deadline? They may have extended again, but we know the direction that the industry is going in. So what should marketers be doing now? Listen, we know that that this is a, a weird and uncertain time and it can feel really, really overwhelming. So there are some kind of philosophical things to kind of hold in your head as your true north. And then there are some practical things. So Let's start with the philosophical things. We have this sort of three pillar framework that we um, that we put out in some research around getting ready for data deprecation. And the first pillar is moving to a model where you know transparency, choice, control for the consumer becomes the new default setting that you just bring to kind of every decision that you're making around your advertising and marketing and data. Um, the second is focusing on the value exchange. So I know that probably sounds obvious, but ensuring that you are building and delivering on experiences for consumers that actually make it feel to them like they are in a value exchange with you if they are, for example, providing data. So give them a reason to want to interact with you, basically, right? Could be humor, could be utility, could be education, there are all kinds of things. Um, Could be personalization, whatever. And then the third one is, and you know, Tina talked about this a bunch earlier when we talked about sort of targeting everybody willy-nilly throughout the customer lifecycle. Maybe that wasn't the best idea. You know, if you've never had a relationship with somebody in the past as a brand, what gives you the right to get in, come into their lives and follow them around and not act like you know them? You know, that that's aggressive. You wouldn't do that with another person. So why would you do that with a with a target customer? So pulling back a bit and using tactics in your prospecting that are just less intrusive and aggressive, things like contextual are are a perfect example. And then focusing, as you know somebody more, on delivering those more tailored experiences based on signals that they're giving you. Um, So that you ultimately, when you have a deep relationship with somebody, are are able to do things like anticipate their needs and give them really, really relevant experiences. So we call that the sliding scale of relationship intimacy. So those are the three philosophical pillars, practically, Tina. (laughs) Yeah, so so, uh, practically speaking, I think marketers in general should continue with the assumption that the third-party cookies are going away sooner rather than later. There's going to be more privacy um, regulation, consumer action, and walled gardens are going to get even 
higher. Um, so given that very practical pieces of things that they could do first, I would say is assess how you're using your, your third-party cookie-based data or any data that may be um, jeopardized with the changing uh, environment. Um, once you assess in terms of how you're, um, you're using that data, you can focus in on what specific marketing operations you need to start testing in. So it could be targeting, it could be measurement, it could be personalization, it could be identity. Um, we think in general, marketers need to continue to future-proof current targeting, media buying, and measurement. I think that's the foundation of what they should be starting on. Um, and that means Keep testing contextual advertising, look at first party uh, based targeting um, and second party using second party data as well directly from publishers. Think about what are different ways that you can um, target net new prospects without um, using a third party cookie. Uh, we have the future of audience targeting research to help you understand what that future of targeting will look like. In terms of measurement, um, atomic ad level measurement is going to drastically change, um, but there's an opportunity for advertisers to work within the um, data clean room environment within the walled gardens or look for independent data clean rooms um, from the data companies and their agencies where they can pull in data from different publishers for measurability um, uh, initiatives. Um, and while they may not have very, very granular level ad um, measurement capabilities, you still be able to understand things like what is the incremental ROI of a specific campaign. You may not be able to understand what drove it and the dynamics, but but it, that's kind of the new reality. Um, keep on investing in first and zero party um, uh, data assets, uh, first party data like um, transaction data um, is always very important, but make sure that, that you create an environment where you can collect that information and build a longitudinal view of, of, uh, of transaction information and ad exposure information, but also look for moments in the customer journey where you can collect behaviors, preferences, content, uh, context and intentions, um, just more information about your consumers so you can build out that customer uh, uh, profile. And then finally, um, talk to your uh, tech providers, your service providers, your agencies, the publishers, the great broader, bigger ad tech community to understand what their roadmaps are and how they're preparing for uh, data deprecation more broadly, and then cookie deprecation. Uh, as well, what are they doing with their solutions? How are they um, future-proofing their solutions? And then identify within your partners if there is an opportunity to test um, either targeting, personalization, measurements, um, identity, using identity, uh, tracking, things like that, not using a third-party cookie. So some practical applications you can, you can leverage as we move forward into this cookie-less future. Clearly, there is so much more to discuss after this. Yes. Great conversation. Yeah. This, this is ongoing. This is not a one and done kind of discussion. Great. Well, thank you both for joining us today. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Thank you both. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.